Hey everyone, my name is Dr. Dolores Tarver. I'm a licensed psychologist here in Georgia, and it is time for the TT Time with Dr. Tarver is a wellness-based podcast. It is not intended to be a substitute for a relationship with a licensed mental health provider. Welcome to November, everyone. This is our first Tuesday in November. I'm very excited about our episodes over the next couple of months. November is National Caregivers Month, and we all are caregiving in some kind of way, whether we are caring for ourselves or we are giving care to those around us that we love. It is important for us to take care of ourselves. So in November, we will be learning about some of the things that can possibly interfere with us taking the best care of ourselves and get some good information that's going to allow us to be healthy. So we are talking this evening about beneath the boobs, the fears, the facts, and the follow-through. I am very excited to introduce to some and present to others Melanie Crutchfield-Witten, MD, who is joining me this evening. She is a breast surgical oncologist at St. Francis Hospital, as well as an associate professor to the Department of Surgery at Mercer University School of Medicine. She is originally from Columbus, Georgia, and earned her undergraduate degree from Alabama A&M University in Huntsville, Alabama. She went on to earn her medical degree from Rosalind Franklin University of Medicine and Science in North Chicago, Illinois, following her general surgery residency at Cooper Medical School of Roman Univer Rowan University in New Jersey. Dr. Witten completed a breast surgical oncology fellowship at the University of Southern California Keck School of Medicine in Hoag Memorial Hospital in Los Angeles, California. She is a fellow of the American College of Surgeons as well as a member of the American Society of Breast Surgeons, the Society of Surgical Oncology, and the National Medical Association. Dr. Whitten enjoys tennis, biking, reading, traveling, and spending time with her family. Welcome to the show, Dr. Whitten. Thank you so much, Dr. Tarver, for inviting me. Absolutely. Well, let's get started. We have a lot to get to. Um, so we started this thing off by saying we were going to talk about fears, some facts, and some follow-through. So let's get started with some fears. What are some of the reasons why African-American women may be fearful of getting breast examinations or even discussing, as some people call it, the C-word, cancer? Well, I mean, let's just be honest. The healthcare system historically has not been kind to Black people in the past, or even now. Um, there are lots of disparities. There are lots of things that are uneven. And um, when you look at Black um, women versus other women. And so a lot of women may feel that they're, they're not going to be treated fairly, that they're not going to be taken seriously. And they also hear about all of these stories. Like I, the way, you know, you see it on TV, really. Like grandma gets cancer. The very next scene, grandma's hair is gone. And the very next scene is her funerals. Like, whoa, <laughs> what happened to grandma? <laughs> grandma went down. <laughs> she, she got cancer and she died. Like that's what, and she lost her hair along the way. Mm -hmm. So like that's, it's a very scary thing. And that's what people think when they're like, okay, if I get cancer, I'm going to die. And for lots of cancers, not just breast cancer, if you detect it early enough, chances are you won't. But the key is detecting it early enough. So I, there is a lot of fear that's surrounding, that's surrounding dealing with the healthcare system and surrounding dealing with cancer because of what their personal experiences are, also what their perceived um, experiences are talking or looking at other people. But 
a lot of times you just have to push past that. Yeah. Yeah. I'm so thankful that you mentioned the television piece, right? Because, you know, a lot of times we are getting information from what we see in movies or TV programs because we see that as accurate information. And so, yes, if you look at the progression of a TV show, they don't have time to show you um, all of the months that people have experienced. You're getting a very sped up timeline. And so that I think does factor into why people are fearful because they're like, well, I saw on TV, like it doesn't turn out well. So when you go in, you don't come back out. Mm -hmm. Um, And I definitely think that that contributes to some of maybe um, how people are viewing healthcare. Like you said, we have had some negative experiences. Healthcare has not always been kind to us. We've been dismissed. Um, Our concerns have been minimized. I think sometimes we have maybe not received the best care when we've gone to places. You mentioned grandma. A lot of us have examples of people, particularly in some of the smaller towns, that went to uh, facilities and didn't get what they needed. And so then they end up going to be seen somewhere else and realize they didn't get good care Mm -hmm. at a a previous facility. So I absolutely think you're right that there is some mistrust um, and also some some fears that are not necessarily founded on accurate information, um, but there is some truth to everything, right? So there are some people that do die from cancer. Mm -hmm. Yes, absolutely. Sometimes grandma really does die you know people like breast cancer has a night over 90 percent um cure rate and or survival rate not really cure survival rate but that means that 10 percent of women die and unfortunately a lot of the women that do unfortunately breast cancer has a higher mortality in black women so a lot of that percentage of that 10 percent of women are black women so even if you know i I recently had a friend that passed away earlier this year. She was in her 30s, died. Wow. And and she, you know, you know, she did everything that she did everything right. Mm -hmm. And so sometimes bad things happen and sometimes people do die. And so not to like but you scare know, people, yeah, not to scare people, right? But it's real, yeah. but at the same time, most of the time, people live, and you have to, like, you know, we never know when it's our time, mm-hmm. but you have to just my whole thing the thing that I go about, like, ever since I started this whole journey <laughs> in medicine, I want to make sure that I do everything I can, like, we're doing everything, and so, and that's how I kind of approach my life, like. Mm-hmm. If if I fail at something, it's not for lack of trying. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. so if something, if someone, you know, if someone gets a diagnosis or someone feels something, or if there's a diagnosis that they're afraid of, like do everything you can to fight it. And you know, it, it you know, God has the final say. Absolutely. Absolutely. But you did, I mean, I think mention this fear piece, right? That some of us are afraid of the unknown. Right. So, okay, 90% survive, but 10% don't. So what, you know, so we, and we do tend to minimize the positives and maximize the negatives. Mm -hmm. So in our mind, we're thinking, okay, well, did they die because they went? Um, You know, did they, did they die because um, once you go in and let's say you do need to have uh, chemotherapy or you need to have a surgery or something, then is that going to actually aggravate some conditions? Are you going to go in there? You're going to get COVID. Um, 
Are you going to be the one that goes in and you're supposed to come back out, but you don't come back out? Um, so I do recognize that a lot of these health beliefs are coming out of things that could be true, but maybe not as true as much as we think that they are. Mm -hmm. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. So, you know, and COVID has brought a whole new, <laughs> whole new, <laughs> whole new monkey wrench <laughs> into the whole situation. Um, so yeah, there is, you know, for the most part, and I, I've been practicing for six years mm -hmm. and for the most part, like I, chemotherapy is scary. It's scary. It does a lot. It does a lot to your body. And I think that's the biggest thing that people are afraid of when they talk to me, they're like, I don't want to do chemo, even mm -hmm. though a lot of women don't even need with breast cancer, don't even need chemo, but they don't mm -hmm. know. They the don't know that. They're like, mm -hmm. I, I just know I'm not doing chemo. Like, okay. Mm -hmm. I mean, okay. <laughs> we don't have to find out about it. <laughs> it's fine. But and that also goes back to early detection. If it's found mm -hmm. early, not everybody, but if it's found early and if it's a certain type, you won't need chemo at all, which would be great. But for those who do need chemotherapy, you are being heavily monitored. Mm -hmm. People are checking on you all the time. Like you're seeing doctors on at least a weekly basis for some of these medications. And so... If something happens, they will dial it back. It's not a situation where they're like, oh, you don't like your deathbed. They're like, mm. keep it going, you know. <laughs> like, no, they definitely like, they will dial it back based mm. on what's going on with you. And they will tailor it to mm. your needs. You get a you get a barrage of tests before starting chemotherapy to make sure that your body is even able to tolerate chemotherapy. So of the six years that I have been in practice, I think I've only had like two patients pass away mm. while on chemotherapy, and I've treated hundreds of mm. cancers. So it's very rare. Yeah. Once again, it's not un it's not impossible. Right. Like I could say zero patients, but it's rare. And so, and the patients that passed away wasn't from the chemotherapy, it was mm. because of the cancer. So it's, you know, because we really do try everything that we can. Okay. So, that, so I understand, like, people are very afraid of chemotherapy, but. Yes. <laughs> but yeah, and won't, in fact, they won't even say the word chemotherapy. Yeah, yes, yes, absolutely. But, you know, really it's, you know, it helps more than it hurts. And it really does, like, like I had a patient that was in her 30s that I just operated on. The chemotherapy completely took all the cancer away. Mm. After the surgery, there was no more cancer. And that mm. actually happens more often than not. Oh, it's okay. about 50% of the time when I do the surgery. If you do chemotherapy before your breast surgery, uh -huh. it's gone. It's wonderful. Like, amazing. <laughs> like, let's go ahead and put the facts yes. on out there. Yes, and yeah. it, it's it's an amazing thing, and they're doing new studies every day. Mm. So, in COVID, you know, we just have to like go into the grocery store and give you COVID. So don't don't be afraid to go to your doctor because you're going to the store. Yeah. Like, don't yeah. be put on to, put on that mask and come on yeah, in. Put on the mask, get your it's mask like you went to that. Yeah, absolutely. It's like you went over to that sale. 
over there at Fresh Market. <laughs> exactly. uh, go ahead, put that mask on and come on to your doctor's office. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, so again, it's about that education and reducing. You're not at any more risk coming into this doctor's office with your mask on, following these precautions um, than you would be any other place you're going, whether that's church or to the grocery store or anything else. So just trying to eliminate these potential barriers. But you have... And also, you know, hospital staff, we have to be vaccinated or we lost, or we would have lost our, we would have lost our jobs. So it's even an extra layer of protection. Even more safe. Yeah, because you don't know who's at the mall. <laughs> I can guarantee you uh, that percentage of vaccinated is probably much less. It's not 100%. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. Um, you mentioned, um, you know, this, this person that you know that died at 30, um, your friend of yours. We know that African-American women are just at higher risk um, to get breast cancer, but also for it to be detected in later stages, um, to have those higher mortality rates. Um, Talk about what are some of the factors that are putting us at this higher risk? Dr. Tarver, I wish I knew. Mm. And there's been, there's a lot of research going there right now. So mm. white women actually get breast cancer more often. Oh, they get it more often. Yes. Okay. Yeah. It's like finally something somebody else gets. We always get the short end of the stick. We do. But we get it younger and mortality okay. is higher. So we die from it 40 to okay. 40% more than white women okay and if you look at like the stage like if you look at two if a if a black woman has a very small tumor that tumor has a higher chance of going to or spreading than a white woman with the same size tumor Mm. and in the biology like black women's cancers are more aggressive okay as well they they've been trying so They've been, like I, like I said before, I, we, we wish we knew. Like, they've mm-hmm. been trying to figure this out. They've done a lot of studies about it. And some of the studies, like, I'll tell you, um, I was just at a conference a couple of weeks ago where they were like, oh, you know, well, Black women just aren't, they're, they're too afraid and they're just not as educated. And I'm like, oh, so you're telling us this at a study, like, wow, like, okay. Like, this is a, this is a medical study? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, thanks. Okay. Um, but I, but I, I had some flashbacks to the bell curve. Exactly. Exactly. So I'm telling you this, I'm telling you this and your listeners this to know like, hey, this, you know, this is what we're up against. This is what people are saying about us. Wow, that we and are educated. Exactly. In my six and years of Okay. We're, we're scared and scared and dumb. Okay. <laughs> in my six years of practice, and for the most part, I, my practice has mostly been half black, half white. Okay. For the most part, it's been, yeah. So in my actually seven, eight years, because I did training before, mm-hmm. black women are no more scared than anybody else. Mm-hmm. Their, their education level is no different than mm-hmm. anybody else. Come on, dispel these myths. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> They're all scared. You know, they all come into my office afraid because, you know, nobody wants cancer. Like we all right. watched the movie where grandma right. died, you know, right. so no one wants cancer. Everyone's mm. doing the best they can be it. Like there are some women that say, well, I, they're rejecting what I tell them wholeheartedly. Like, mm. no, nope, do other things. And this is across the board. 
So it's, I can't tell you, oh, black women are more likely to do this versus white women. That's not the case at all. One of the things that they have looked at is access. For whatever mm. reason, black women just aren't getting their mammograms or they're not, they're, the time between finding a biopsy, getting a mammogram that's abnormal or finding a lump mm-hmm. and getting a biopsy is longer. Okay. Women. That could be, you know, where we're living, mm-hmm. facilities that we're going to, our insurance, like there's mm-hmm. a number of factors as to why that's going on. Um, they're also looking at our ancestral ties. Okay. So the type of cancer that Black women have here, they have a lot more of that in Ghana. So looking to see, okay, huh. okay. Well, what, like, is it something in our genetics that have mm-hmm. And also, I and this is something that I haven't, that I don't think they've done a study on, but it's the same thing when you look, when you're looking at maternal mortality, like mm-hmm. why are women dying more? Right. You mm-hmm. know, it's because... I, I personally think it's because we have lots of internalized trauma, lots mm-hmm. of ancestral trauma, mm-hmm. and that's affected our genetic code. And that's kind of why things are worse. Things seem like it's for worse. us. Yeah. Because we had like we've had slaves, we've had mm-hmm. in our family that were tortured, mm-hmm. like generations of torture. Mm-hmm. And that has to have some effect. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. But that um, yeah. You know, and I, I definitely would say to you, I mean, and there is there is research about how trauma affects the body enough for us to be able to, you know, we may not necessarily say that's causal, but we definitely could probably say it's correlational mm-hmm. um, in terms of increasing that those risk factors. But we know the body keeps the score. Um, so when we experience trauma, whether that's intergenerational and all the trauma we experience now, um, it's not like we have been without trauma, uh, find me a black person that hadn't had some kind of trauma. Um, and so, but that is very interesting that Ghanaian women are having, because it sounds like, so, uh, so I think the myth, and I thank you for busting that is that we as black women get cancer more frequently, but it is that our cancer is more aggressive. More aggressive. Sounds like. Mm-hmm. Okay. More aggressive and Hispanic women more so. They okay. actually get cancer a lot younger. I don't know about the aggressiveness of theirs, but they're mm-hmm. much younger. And okay. I, I did my fellowship in University of Southern California. There were lots of women in their like twenties mm. cancer. Mm. And does the mortality rate increase to some extent if the if you're younger? Yeah. Okay. Because the thing, and this is um, another thing with that's earlier I said. Um, I mistakenly said cure, and then I said, no, wait. Yeah, you don't say cure, right? We know the cancer can come back. Exactly. So Mm. the thing is, um, especially with breast cancer, a lot Mm. of people think, you know, with a lot of cancers, they'll say, oh, I'm five years, and, Mm. you know, after that, you're done. Unfortunately, Mm. with breast cancer, that's not the case. Breast cancer usually comes back within two years or, like, 20 years later. Mm. Like, it's very, very sneaky, like, just Mm. You've like lived your whole life, 20 years, bam. So the thing with young women, if you get breast cancer in your 30s, 20 years later, you're in your 50s. 50s. (laughs) You're still young. Versus someone who got breast cancer in their 60s, 20 years later, they're in their 80s. So Mm -hmm. something else may have happened to them at that point. But but if you're young, you have to keep watching out because that second insult 
could come and you're still young, mm. <laughs> you know? So that's, that's what is especially scary about young women in breast cancer. Yeah, my mother, um, so she got diagnosed with breast cancer when I was in high school. Mm. She went uh, a, a long while with nothing and then it came back in her bones and then it came back in her, right? So, um, you know, she ended up surviving about four years with it. But, um, you know, of course the technology is much better, I'm sure now, um, and resources and medication are much better now. Options are much better now. Um, but um, she did the radiation and the chemo and all of those things and had the breast removed and still ended up, um, yeah. you know, ultimately uh, metastasized to her liver, which is what led to her death. But oh, sorry. yeah, oh, thank you. Um, but but one of the reasons why I bring that up is because I live in a in a small town. You mentioned this earlier. Um, I grew up in a, in a small town, Grenada, Mississippi. Um, and as you said earlier about access and resources and insurance and all of these things, but I also think that there are some things in the water and there are some, some environmental kind of factors that contribute. We have a high rate of cancer, um, mm -hmm. in that little town. Um, it's, it's really disproportionate for the amount of, mm -hmm. uh, people that live there, but what most commonly affected women, black and white was breast cancer. Mm-hmm. So we had very high instances of, of breast cancer um, in my town. And like you said, in terms of it coming back, but what would happen is people would not want to deal with it. Mm -hmm. So they would get the diagnosis and they wouldn't tell anybody that they had got diagnosed. And so yes. part of what was contributing to that mortality rate was literally they received no treatment. Yeah. Yeah. That happens a lot. My aunt actually very similar. Like she told me she wouldn't tell me actually yes <laughs> she wouldn't yes tell she wouldn't tell you <laughs> and so and I was I was a surgery resident getting ready for my breast fellowship at the time and I was like what is it <laughs> tell me <laughs> like I was like no sugar cone like is this cancer she's like yeah. I'm not gonna say I'm like well what is it and so she did surgery, but that's it. She didn't do anything else. And 10 years later, now it's in her bones. Mm. And so it's like, and, and it was to the point where I forgot because she never told Because she never told you. You have no idea. Like, uh, okay, where well, you just, yeah, uh, you so know, when people don't want to talk about stuff. You're like, well, do you have a sexually like, transmitted well, infection? Like, well, okay, all right. Yeah. I'm just not going to worry about it if you don't. Well, okay, it's like, all right, well. <laughs> like, right, you want to be private. She was complaining uh, about pain, pain in her ankle. I'm like, well, what's that? I mean, I honestly forgot. Yeah. And yeah, 10 years later, I mean, she's, she's still alive. She's getting treated, thank God, and she's doing oh, okay. That was, yeah. that was about a year ago. Oh, Wow. It's, that's the thing. And, and you look at, I, I actually, um, when I first got back to Columbus, mm -hmm. someone asked me about that. They're like, why is there so much cancer? I think there's so much cancer in Columbus. I'm like, well, is there? So I looked on, there's a, um, so you can Google the rate of cancers and specific cancers in your town. Mm -hmm. And you can look at it by county. And so I looked at it. And just like you said, these small counties mm -hmm. like and in, i look specifically in georgia i don't look in mississippi, you look in mississippi. Not, i imagine it's the same I, yeah i imagine because the demographics it's, are going to be similar. exactly, exactly. Right. it was these counties that i had never heard of mm -hmm. south georgia like near the georgia florida line that had the highest rates and i was like mm -hmm. 
what is going mm-hmm. on in these cities? Yes. And you don't know, you're right. Like, is it the water? Mm-hmm. Like, is there some type of industry there that's causing contamination? Yes. That these women, there aren't really any hospitals around. Mm. So these people don't have access to quality care. Like yeah. there's it was it was startling mm. looking at like these small cycle because I, I broke out a map and everything. I'm like, like let me where is this? Mm-hmm. I've never, I, I grew up in Georgia, I've never heard of these places. But it was a lot of it was a lot of towns that mm. a lot of counties I've never heard of in South Georgia. So I do think that like the rural community. Yes. It's really worse in these areas yeah. because you don't have the access and also you have the fear. Right. On top of the not, because, you know, one of the things that allows us to go regularly to a provider is that we have regular, you know, we have providers in our area. We have some options, right? Because one of the things that I think calms my fear is to see a provider that I feel like understands me, hears me, connects with me, relates to me. And so I'm much more likely to disclose to that provider and more likely to trust that provider if I feel like, hey, okay, I really think that this person has my best interest at heart. But if I have limited providers in my area, that's probably going to decrease. So if I have a negative experience with you and there's one of you. Yeah. (laughs) You can't switch. (laughs) Who am I switching to? (laughs) Just that one one person. Nobody else for me to see. And so what if I have to drive, you know, an hour or more to get to another provider. And then there may only be one provider there. Yeah. Yeah. And the wait to get into a provider. And mm-hmm. like you said, the insurance, the, um, you know, a lot of these, the preventative care things are often covered, but by the time people go to the doctor, it's not usually for preventative care. Incredibly expensive. Right. Incredibly. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, you mentioned the, the more aggressive forms of cancer. So I know that some people have heard triple negative breast cancer or these terms BRCA1, BRC. Can you talk a little bit more about these types of, because I, like you said, not every cancer results in you need to have surgery, Um, but there may be some that are more aggressive that you may have to look at other options. So can you talk a little bit um, as layman as you can help us with um, (laughs) in kind of understanding some of those things? Yes. So um, each cancer has a different, um, different features with it, with breast cancer. And so one of the features that we look at is it responding to our hormones. Um, We call it like ERPR, estrogen receptor, progesterone receptor, but that just means the hormones. Those are hormones that your body naturally makes. And a lot of women, they're like past menopause. They're like, well, I'm not making any hormones. You are making hormones. You're still making them. After your ovaries stop making hormones, your fat cells actually kick in and start mm-hmm. making hormones, which is why like being overweight increases your risk of cancer because your fat cells are like pushing out that estrogen. So you have estrogen and progesterone, these hormones that feed cancer, that, that can feed cancer. And so there's another type of not, it's not a hormone, but it's a receptor. It's called HER2. Okay. And so for those who are HER2 positive, their cancers tend to be more aggressive. Mm. And a while ago, um, those women did very poorly. But now we have new, stu- now we've done a bunch of studies and we have um, medicine that's kind of like chemotherapy, but it's not. It's called immunotherapy, but it's kind okay. of. 
So, so we have medicine that we give them that they're they actually do very well. Okay. So back to the ERPR. So if your cancer is hormone receptor positive, that means that we have a target. Now, even her too. These are targets. Like, okay, mm -hmm. we know what makes you tick and okay. we can give you something or, or rather take it away. We can decrease okay. your hormone levels to get food away from the cancer. The way, the analogy I like to use, and I like to use kids as an analogy because I don't mm -hmm. have kids. So means nothing to me. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, you all can come on, baby. Other people have kids. So, so if you have two bad kids, right? And you have one bad kid that if you do time out, that kid's going to be all right. It's like, okay, I'm sorry. I'll be fine. But then if you have another bad kid, time out doesn't work. Time out don't work. Spanking doesn't work. Like restrictions don't work. Mm -hmm. It's nothing works. And that's what triple negative breast cancer is. We haven't found the target. Mm, we don't know the why. We don't yeah. know the, okay. We don't know what makes it tick. Okay. And so if, you have, if, if you have these two bad kids and the bad kid that nothing's really working, that kid's more aggressive. That kid's really bad. Because y'all haven't figured out what's going on with me exactly. to be able to help me exactly. to stop engaging in this behavior. We haven't, we haven't yeah. figured out how to, we yeah. don't know the correct discipline to turn right. that child around. So they actually, so that's why, that's what triple negative breast cancer is. Mm -hmm. It's negative for ER, negative for PR, negative for HER2. That's why they call it because these are the three Oh, that's the triple at. negative. That's all okay, we call it. Got you. Okay. PR, PR, HER2 negative okay. versus if you're eat like ideally, the, my ideal patient mm -hmm. is ERPR positive, HER2 negative. That patient, I'm like, yes, you know, like <laughs> they have a more favorable they, they have prognosis, more, yeah. their treatment exactly, is okay. Exactly. Because we have a target. Okay. And, and so we can give, we can take, give them medicine to take away their hormones. That's a whole other, you know, kettle of fish taking away somebody's hormones. But we can give them medicine mm -hmm. to take away their hormones, and that will take food away from the cancer. Okay. And they have a longer chance of living, a longer chance of doing well versus the women who are triple negative. Now, here's some new research, though. Okay. I just said that there is this thing called immunotherapy mm -hmm. that's for, that we did, that we started like 15, 20 years ago for the HER2 positive women. They are now doing immunotherapy for the triple negative women. Okay. So there's promise. Okay. Okay. There's <laughs> hope. There, it's okay. new. The okay. woman I just told you about that once we, the 37 year old that we did the surgery was gone, she's on mm. immunotherapy. Okay. So it's, it's getting there. Okay. We, you know, with anything you study, you got to study for like, decades before mm. you say, yeah, we did it. You know? Yeah, <laughs> but, absolutely. But there is some promise. So I'm very excited about these new medications that are coming out. Okay. That sounds very hopeful because I think a lot of times people do think, okay, this is, you know, in my family, uh, these other women have died from it. No one's been able to, which I think is another reason why people don't want to come and get treatment because they yes. feel like they're kind of doomed anyway. Yeah. Um, so I'm just going to live my life and um, it just will take me when it takes me, not yeah. recognizing that that treatment has come a long way and that there actually may be a treatment option. Yeah, absolutely. All yeah. that pink stuff that we wear, <laughs> all those pink appliances, <laughs> the, the pink share of cars, the... <laughs> that, that really does go somewhere. 
<laughs> that money goes your donations really do count somewhere it goes somewhere and that's because people are like oh we've been doing this we hadn't found a cure I'm like yeah. no we have not but we found some really good treatments and we can't yeah. find a cure because it's individualized to our body yeah, find yeah. Some, we found some very good treatments Really, really. Cool. I mean, I think uh, there are a lot of things that don't have depression doesn't have a cure, um, but that doesn't mean we can't, you know, manage the symptoms very effectively and a person live a good quality life. Yes, so, absolutely. You know, it doesn't have to be cured in order for you to be able to still have a healthy quality life. But we do mm -hmm. want it to be managed yes. um, and managed as effectively as possible is what I'm yes. hearing you say. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, now, talk about so you mentioned the without hormones that's a whole other level but that reminds me of when women go through menopause right so we know that we're supposed to do monthly breast exams most of us uh do right right after we leave our provider's office and then we fall off um <laughs> two months later and then right before we go back we like oh, I, I, should probably, I should probably pick that thing back up um after we go through menopause do we still need to conduct those monthly breast self-exams? Absolutely. Because the older you get, the more, the more of a chance you're going to have to get breast cancer. And that's actually with most cancers. The older you get, the, the more of a chance um, that you are going to get some form of cancer, unfortunately. Mm. Um, my suggestion, so before they say, okay, you know, do 10 years, two, uh, 10 days before, 10 days after, your period. Well, I know I don't track my periods and I <laughs> that often and I don't and I don't remember. Like I don't think like if my period comes on the 20th, the 10th, I am not thinking about my period. <laughs> I'm just not. <laughs> yeah, we're done with that. I'm like, I don't, I don't worry about this on the 19th. I'm Absolutely. Not, or you may be taking birth control where you don't get exactly, exactly. a cycle like that. Yeah. So my suggestion to everybody over the board. The whole idea is to get you to do it the same time every month. That's the point. So because our breasts do change throughout the month, especially women who are still menstruating, mm -hmm. because you get like, we have lots of times what's called fibrocystic breasts where we get lumps and bumps that kind of go away over the course of a month. So the whole idea is to check it at the same time. So mm -hmm. my suggestion to everyone is to check it the first of the month. We all remember when the first of the month is coming. We get paid. People are people pay us like right now. Today is the first of the month. And Great day. Exactly. Start today. Like bills are due. You, some people get folks will get paid on the first and fifteenth. They just got paid. Everyone knows it. Check then. <laughs> I love that. That's a, it's a good way to remember yeah. it. It's not something that you're going to easily forget yeah. because it's just the one other an extra thing that you mm -hmm. do in addition to all the other stuff that you're doing on the first. Right. So go ahead and put that in your calendar and your phone. Check your boobies. Um, there you go. Yep. Check the boobies. Okay. Yeah. Um, and you mentioned um, age, right? So you mentioned uh, obesity was a risk factor. Mm -hmm. um, age is also a risk factor mm -hmm. for breast cancer. All cancers you said, but yeah, I didn't, I don't think I knew that. Well, it's because the thing is when cancers usually start as a mutation, it's a mutated mm. cell, that's okay. a cell that's grown out of control, basically. Okay. And so our cells are constantly turning over and that's how we age. Your cells turn over. That's why we look different. And so your cells have just been turning over, turn over, turn over for mm -hmm. 70 years. Like 
something's bound to happen. Mm. Like my grand, my granddaddy, an analogy I like to use, it's my granddaddy. He died when he was 99 years old. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, lived a great long life. And he was, he went, he actually participated in D-Day. Like he was there. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. So my dad was his youngest. So that means that when I was growing up, he was pretty old already. And so I was like, granddaddy, come to my medical school graduation or come to do this. He's like, no. <laughs> right. <laughs> You're not taking me out. Exactly. He's like, listen, I've been to France. I was there on an invasion of Normandy and not a scratch. I've been okay. But I know that the law of averages is going to catch up with me. Eventually. <laughs> Something's going to happen. So what I'm going to do is stay right here. Absolutely. Absolutely. I travel way too much. Yeah. <laughs> so that's the same thing like ourselves. They've been turning over, turning mm. over. For, the law of averages catches up. Mm. So that that's why like when you're older, you tend to get more cancer. Okay. okay. That makes a lot of sense. Factor. Mm. Um, family history is definitely a risk factor. And I, and I don't, um, I know there's a lot of fear from that. And a mm -hmm. lot of people, they'll say, I just know I'm going to get it. Mm -hmm. Well, first of all, you really shouldn't have that attitude about it. Yeah, like don't speak it into existence. Exactly. There mm -hmm. is a mind-body connection. Mm -hmm. And also, we can do genetic testing. You mentioned earlier, like BRCA1, BRCA2, like there's genetic tests that we can do to see if this is something that's in your future. And even if the genetic test doesn't show anything, we can also give you, like, we can take measures to decrease your risk. So it's it's not a thing where we'll just throw up our hands and say, oh, well, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know. Like, don't get it. Don't get it, sis. Sorry for you. You want a pink bracelet? Yeah, we'll give it to you ahead of time. But, um, yes, yeah, so there are definitely things that we can do to decrease your risk, there are different ways to screen, to catch it early. Because if we catch it early, then it's like, you know, I mean, it, you know, no one wants cancer, but it right. would much rather catch it when it's just like a little bitty, like smidgen of something versus, you know, something that's going to really affect your life negatively. So there are definitely things we can do. But yeah, age, um, obesity, um, family history. If you've ever had radiation, your chest mm. wall for whatever okay. reason, that, that increases the risk. Okay. There's all kinds of talk about hormones. Yes. And it increases the risk in birth control pills. Risk, yep, absolutely, yeah. Mm. Yeah, so with hormones, what they found is if you take estrogen and progesterone, mm. that increases your risk of breast cancer. That combination, okay. estrogen alone, the studies have not shown to increase your risk of breast cancer. It still makes me nervous personally, but... Mm. The studies do not back up what I don't saying. support that. Okay. <laughs> so, so estrogen alone does not increase your risk, but estrogen plus progesterone does increase your risk. When would one get progesterone? Um, it actually a lot of women they get that combination when they're going through menopause, fertility, or menopause. Well, menopause. Menopause. Okay. Yeah, to help with hot flashes and mood swings and note to self. Wonderful. Okay. Thanks, Come along with menopause because <laughs> I will be using herbs. <laughs> <laughs> that, that, that's my, I, my thing is like, I mean, no one wants to feel not themselves. Yeah. So I, I get it. Like, you know, but if at all possible, use natural 
solutions. And there are natural solutions, like use those before, like the estrogen should be your last, um, the last thing that you use, like if nothing else works. Okay. Um, so you have given a nice segue into, like, as we talk about preventative measures and early detection. So what would a um, healthy kind of plan be for a woman uh, of any age who wants to take good care of herself um, as she's thinking about uh, her, her breast care? What would that plan look like for her? Really, it's a healthy life plan, okay. to be honest. Um, eating fruits and vegetables. And these are all like, these are things that, that are bad. Across the board. Yep, across <laughs> the board. And these are things that they've done studies on. They're like, okay, well, what, what can we, what, the way they've done the studies is they looked at women who've already had breast cancer okay. and they put them in studies because you can't study America, you know, so they, they put I the mean, women. We've been hard. Yeah, they've tried. <laughs> they've tried. <laughs> but um, they put those women in like, what can what increases the risk of a, um, a recurrence? So these are these are what these studies are extrapolated from. So fruits and vegetables. <laughs> get your fruits in. Get your, your plants. Exactly. Decrease your carbs. Decrease your sugars. All the um, stuff we like. Hmm? The All stuff the we stuff like. we like. <laughs> triple negative breast cancer actually does respond to sugar. So decreasing your sugar, it's like okay. their insulin growth factors high on those women. So decreasing your sugars helps. Um, exercise, exercising 30 minutes a day, uh, five days a week. One of those exercise sessions should be strength training. Like you, you're not, I'm not saying go out and like run marathons or do CrossFit. Like what I suggest is when you are watching TV, walk around your couch during the commercials. If you're watching TV for like, hour and a half, two hours, you've gotten 30 minutes of exercise in walking during the commercials. Um, and also like you can do chair exercise. There's so much on YouTube now. Yes, there is. Everything's to whatever your level, whatever you mm -hmm. like. You know, there's so many mm -hmm. options out there. If you smoke, don't smoke. <laughs> You're like, just don't, no. That goes without saying. <laughs> um, drinking alcohol, like keep it to a minimum. Okay. They, uh, women should drink one glass of wine, one glass of alcohol or less a day, and okay. men two or less a day. And um, cutting down on your meats. That's another thing, like eating, okay. choosing more fish and lean meats okay. than more fatty meats. Those are okay. all we can do. And help with your stress levels, which is where you come in, Dr. Tarver. Like stress really does, it plays a huge part, especially in recurrences. Like there's lots of studies that show like there's a correlation there between like mm -hmm. a stressful event and then your recurrence. So keeping down your stress levels, like meditation, like, mm -hmm. <laughs> like you know, try like any, we're, we can't help bad things from happening to us. We can't help traumas, but we can help our response. Absolutely, absolutely. And as people are trying to find a provider, and, and let me just say, like, thank you for, because that feels very manageable, I think, to people when it's like, oh, none of that was drugs. Like, none of that was, <laughs> I didn't have to take a pill. I didn't have to. $39.99 from my website. <laughs> Look, I don't, I don't have to, I don't have to get on a, a monthly subscription. Exactly. Uh, <laughs> hey, like, yeah. 
Yeah. So I just want to say thank you for 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 allowing people to see that it's manageable um, mm -hmm. and very doable to invest in one's health. Um, so as we talk about finding a provider and what a um, you know, yearly or quarterly or month, depending on, you mentioned testing earlier, genetic tests. So what are some of the things that, um, you know, women may need to be thinking about as they're talking about a plan with a provider? So there's actually, um, there was actually a recent study that came out specifically about Black women and breast cancer. And what it was saying that <clears throat> starting at 25, you need to start talking to your doctor about your breast cancer risk. Because oh, wow. you do get breast cancer younger. Okay. So early, like start talking. And that that couldn't, that's as simple as these are the women in my family who've had breast oral ovarian cancer or just any cancer. Any I, cancer. I talk to them about like, because a lot of times I'll say, well, you know, who had cancer? And they'll just discuss the breast. I'm like, no, I want to know everybody. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like, because there are different genes that have different correlations. So Talking to your family about their about who had what, telling them like, listen, you you don't have to put a name to it, you could, but tell me. <laughs> right, right. Well, you so, don't have to disclose unhinged business. Write it down, but, but like, yeah, absolutely. So, slide it on over to me. Exactly. You don't even have to say it out loud. Just write just it down. It, slide. You know, spell it out. No. <laughs> So talking to your family about, about who had cancer, talking to your doctor about that risk to see what genetic testing you have. As far as testing goes, um, it's recommended that there are lots of different recommendations. I recommend, and your insurance will pay for you to start getting mammograms at age 40 okay. or 10 years before your first degree relative, like a mother or sister was diagnosed with breast cancer. Oh, okay. So if like... Your mom was diagnosed at 45. You need to start at 35. 10 years before, whenever her diagnosis was, that's when you start. Or okay. if like, if your mom was 55 and you start at 40, along with everybody else. Okay. Um, and insurance will pay if you can doc, if you have yes. documented in the note, like we're requesting this because mm -hmm. of a family history. Absolutely. Insurance okay. will pay. Insurance will pay. Um, getting your mammogram every year. There's like, so there's this, um, Sometimes people's primary care doctors are telling them that they need to start at 50 and they need to get it done every other year. That's because there, there is a study out there. there. There are these guidelines out there that tell you that those are the guidelines that they're telling you. But a lot of other organizations have pushed back and said, no, we're not following those guidelines. So that's why I'm saying like, every, even if your doctor's like, oh, you can go every two years. Nope, every year. <laughs> Every year, starting at 40, unless there's a family history. Okay. And doing your monthly exams. The American Cancer Society actually says you don't have to do monthly exams, but they do say you have to know your breast. And my thing is, so they don't talk. Right. <laughs> so, how am I going to know them if I don't spend time with them? Exactly. You got you to gotta feel mm -hmm. them to know them. Like, mm -hmm. how do you not, like, I'm not sure another way to know your breast. I'm not, not either, but if you find that out, let me know. Yeah, they're not going to be like, I have a problem. Like, <laughs> you got to, you got to fill them. Hey. Yeah, there. <laughs> now, you mentioned the mammogram. Um, talk about, so there's mammograms and then there's other things as well yes. for screening, so, right? So talk about. Exactly. So the basic that everyone gets is a screening mammogram. And that's when they, you know, smush it here, smush it there. 
Please. You find find out later what it is, what happened. If like there, especially young women may have dense breast tissue. It's hard. And that's another reason why like they generally don't like doing mammograms on young women because of dense breast tissue. Dense breast tissue means um, basically that you have lots of fibrous tissue in your breast, which keeps you perky basically. So that's why like, you know, when you were young, our breasts are full and perky and nice. That's because it has all this dense breast tissue in it, which is great. Hey, you know, (laughs) aesthetically awesome. Oncologically, not so much. (laughs) Because the thing is, mammograms look for density. And if you're dense and you have these densities, it's hard to tell the difference between the two. So for women with dense breast tissue, I personally recommend doing a whole breast ultrasound to look at, look for lumps, look for masses, because the ultrasound looks at your breast differently than the mammogram, but you still need a mammogram. You can't skip the mammogram part. So you do the screening mammogram. Sometimes they'll say you need a whole breast ultrasound because of your dense breast tissue, depending on what doctor, what imaging center you go to. There's also a thing called a 3D mammogram, which makes it easier to see dense breast tissue. Mm. So I recommend that all women get 3D mammograms, whether they have dense breast tissue or not. Sometimes okay. it's an extra cost. I think it's like $75 is the most I've heard, but it is worth it because it does find cancers more than regular mammograms. So if they find something on that first mammogram, then they'll do what's called a callback or a second look. So they call you and say, okay, hey, we found something else. And that's when they really squeeze because they're really looking for mm. that particular area. My suggestion is take Tylenol before you go. Okay. To help with that. Okay. They may also do an ultrasound of your breast at that time. Okay. You find out immediately if you need a biopsy or not. With that ultrasound? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. So a diagnostic mammogram, the radiologist is there and they tell you, they read your images in real time. If you have a high risk of breast cancer, and that's calculated by a lot of different factors, like your family history, your height, your weight, if you've been on hormones when you had children, lots of different factors go into that, um, then you may need what's called an MRI. Mm -hmm. What the MRI does is it looks at flow. So it looks at completely different from the mammogram or the ultrasound. The reason why we don't, MRI is way more sensitive than all of these. But we don't do MRIs for everybody because they're too sensitive. Like they show Mm. everything. And a lot of times those things aren't even necessary. And so it may lead you down a path where you're looking for something that's not actually there. Mm. So we only do the MRIs if we are specifically looking for something. Like for women who are high risk, like if we can find like a three millimeter thing, like got it, you know, but we are looking like we're snooping for something, but we don't do that for everybody because it is, it can lead to a lot of unnecessary tests. Okay. Okay. So now let's say you are working with a provider and all they do is recommend the mammogram. Can you request, for example, uh, an ultrasound? Um. If you have dense breasts, yes, you can request a whole breast ultrasound. And it is my understanding that a lot of Black women have a lot dense of women, breast tissues. A lot of women in general do it. Actually, a lot of women in general. Actually, okay. will tell you. Georgia, like there are, I think, 
oh, I don't I think about 19 states. There are states, there are some states, Georgia's one of them, okay. where they will tell you in the, they're required by law to tell you if you have dense breast or not. They have to tell you. Okay. And so if you have, it's either category C or category D, and it'll say extremely dense or heterogeneously dense. Mm. If you have dense breast tissue, you can request a whole breast ultrasound. Okay. If you feel something, because the mammograms miss some lumps. Mm. If you did a breast exam, you're like, I feel a lump. Then yeah, you can get an ultrasound and they'll okay. look just in that area that you're feeling the lump. So you can request that at your, because you're absolutely right. They do say like, oh, you have dense breast tissue. Um, but then that, that's the conversation ends there. So yeah. when they say you have dense breast tissue at that point, I could say, hey, am I able to get mm -hmm. a full breast ultrasound? Yeah. Okay. And if they don't do it there, then there's probably a facility now, depending on where you live, but there's probably facilities around that does it. Okay. So that's good information, I think, for people to know, because I think sometimes unless people tell us, like, well, it's almost like we need permission, right? Like, can I do that? Am I able to ask for that? Um, and yes. you're saying, yes, you are yes. able. Mm -hmm. to they may ask. not have the, that facility may not have the capabilities. And so they'll tell you. Yeah. But, but there's you can get referred to a place that does have yeah. it. And then you'll know that moving forward. Like, oh, this place does both as mm -hmm. opposed to this place that maybe just has one. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, now we mentioned providers, right? And that sometimes people are just like, mm, I don't know about if I feel comfortable. What are some of your recommendations to help people? Like, what should they be looking for in a provider? What are some guess, suggestions about like, hey, if you're looking to try to find a provider who meets your needs, what may be some of the things you want to look in a bio or um, you know, getting recommendations or any of those kind of things that you think might be helpful for our audience? Well, if you are looking for specifically a breast surgeon, for whatever reason, there are two different things that you can look at. When you look in their bio, look to see if they're doing, if they do anything else. If they say they do breast, um, thyroid, hernias, <laughs> um, appendix, <laughs> If they're a general, that means that they are a general surgeon that does breast, and that's different than a breast surgeon. Like I, I'm, I am a general surgeon. Like I completed my general surgery training, but I stopped taking out people's appendixes, like in residency. I focus only on breast. So that's one of the things that when it says like, what's the person's specialties mm -hmm. and you see everything, all the stuff, and that and in small in small towns. Sometimes maybe that's all you yeah, have. Yeah, that, that might be all you have. Could be it. Um, so that's one thing that you look at. Another thing, like you look to see if they've gone to fellowship for mm. training specifically for breast. Um, fellowships have been around for about 20 years. So unless someone's significant, unless a provider's significantly older, they could have gone to fellowship if they wanted to. It was there. So, and that just shows like that extra dedication. Like I'd spent a year specifically doing breast, just breast. And there is a um, website called breastsurgeons.org. Look there. You can say, find a member. And these will tell you the breast surgeon, the people who belong. So breastsurgeons.org belongs to the American Society of Breast Surgeons. Okay. And the, if you are a member of the Americans, that's the biggest breast surgery group. 
If you're a member of the American Society of Breast Surgeons, that means that you have a special interest in breast. So even if you do thyroids and, you know, other things like you put forth at least some money. Get that specialized. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Get like mm-hmm. special instruction and try to make attempts to be on top of it. So whenever someone asks me about a spe- specific doctor or if they say, hey, I'm in anywhere, any state, um, I'm looking for a breast surgeon. I actually go to that website. I go to find a member and I look to see what members are in that area. And that's yeah. how I tell them like, okay, these, these are people who at least paid the money to be a mm-hmm. part of this mm-hmm. every year. Yeah. The likelihood is there that they will have exactly. this specialized training now. Exactly. Or they, um, they at least take some kind of dedication to breast. Okay. Okay. Um, now, are you only for women um, or utilized by women only who have been diagnosed with cancer or do you do preventative work with women as well? Absolutely not. I do. I do work with all women with all breast issues. <laughs> In fact, most most of my patients don't have cancer, <laughs> which is nice. <laughs> but yes, um, I see breast pain. I see family history of breast cancer, lumps, bumps, um, itchy breast, <laughs> like all kinds of. Because they do it sometimes. They do. Yeah, they they come to me. I was like, well, you know, we'll figure it out. But. Um, <laughs> But I see all kinds of breast issues. Okay. It really, it, my practice is actually pretty varied on who I see. Okay. That is good to know because I think sometimes people may have an interest in seeing someone, but they feel like, oh, I can only see this one if, mm-hmm. you know, I meet these criteria. So I'm yeah. happy to hear that there's a lot of preventative care that's going on. Oh, They're yeah. like, no, I'm looking, at, I'm looking at breasts. So just come on in with the boobies. Yeah. And yeah. If, you, if you are worried for whatever yes. reason. Yeah, you have you have some concerns. Come on in and see. Yeah, I'd much rather do those. Yeah. I'd much rather do reassurance visits and talk to women and reassure women than have conversations where we are discussing like you know what's next in yeah. a bad way. Absolutely. Well, Dr. Whitten, I want to thank you so much for joining Tea Time with Dr. Tarver. You have helped us through our fears, given us some facts, and talked about how we can follow through with healthier plans that can reduce our risk factors, but also that can increase our risk uh, or increase our likelihood of early detection as opposed to being detected in later stages where um, we may have more challenges associated with that. So, Thank you so much for giving up your time and your talents on Tea Time with Dr. Tarver. Um, So everyone, Dr. Witten, you all be well. Have a good night. Thank you, Dr. Tarver. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye.